Welcome to the Hill City Podcast. This is a recording of the weekly gathering from Hill City Church. We exist to help people follow Jesus and build their lives around three goals. To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. If you'd like to join us, we meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Caustic Center in Farmington Hills, Michigan. We hope that today's message will help you follow Jesus. Wrapping up our series, Exiles, where we have been talking about what does it look like for us to live as exiles in our world. Now, this time of year, it often presents itself with an opportunity to to watch lots of movies. I don't know if you're anything like our family, but my wife, last night, she came downstairs after our, our last kid went to bed, and she's like, it's time to watch a Christmas movie, right? And, uh, and I was uh, not in the Christmas movie mood, and so I was like, no, you go watch it. I'm going to keep kind of work on uh, this morning and everything like that. But I could hear it. Now, I don't know about you guys, uh, but for me, I, 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 Christmas doesn't have to only be Christmas movies. I mean, I, I watch, I feel like this is the time of the year where I watch classic movies, like at least in my mind, are classic movies. And one of the things that I can't get away from is like those kind of underdog sports movies that people just love to watch. Like for me, Remember the Titans is like an all-time great movie. Uh, Miracle, I love those movies. You know, like these kind of movies that like have like these, these great speeches. Now, for me, I watch these movies, and I can barely ice skate, but when I listen to that speech in the, at the end of that movie, like, I'm ready to put on ice skates and go fall on the ice and try and play hockey, right? When I watch Remember the Titans, I will listen to him say, you will blitz all night. You will make them remember forever the night that they played the Titans, right? I'm like, I'm like, ready to, I'm like putting on my son's pretend football helmet and ready to go outside and run through a wall, Right? And there's things like, there's these kind of movies that just kind of come and they they bring out this desire for us to get up and get moving, right? Rocky is one of those things. I've never been a boxer in my entire life. But like every every kid who's watched that movie has yelled, yo, Adrian, at some point and pretend to be a boxer, right? Why? I think there's something that happens when we watch these kind of movies, these like classic movies that allow our hearts to come alive. It doesn't matter if we have skill in those areas or not. Our hearts come alive. And I believe the reason that our hearts come alive in those moments is because we were never created to sit on the sidelines and simply watch these things happen. But rather, we were always called and created to participate in the work that is happening around us. We are called to participate in the work of God in our world. I think too often what happens is we have been content to sit on the sidelines of what God is doing in our world, and we just entrust it to the professionals, to the people who are on church staff, to the pastors, the leaders, And we think church is really to help me feel better and to help me grow closer to God, which there is an element of that, truth to that. But my my conviction is that when Jesus is looking at his disciples, he is not telling them church is about getting comfortable in your seats and letting the leaders do the work of the ministry. No, no, no. He has invited each of us to participate in the work that he is doing in the world. And for those of us who are exiles, 
The way that we begin to see God's work come about in the world is not through passivity, sitting on the sidelines, but it's through an active presence in the very work of God in our world. This is why I love those classic movies, because in many ways, it gets this, this desire kind of coming out of me that I believe is lying dormant in many of us. We are called to be active. We are called to carry on the work of Jesus in the world. Well, what was that work? Jesus describes it this way in Luke 19.10. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This was the work of Jesus in the world. To undo the effects of sin in our world. He did this by seeking out those who were affected by sin and saving them from the consequences of sin through his life and his death and ultimately his resurrection. This is the work of God in our world. And he goes and he begins to ascend into heaven. And he looks at his disciples, his followers, And he does not say, just watch, something great is about to happen. He says something that calls them into the game. It pulls them in. It invites them and challenges them to participate in the work of God. Look at what it says in Acts 1.8. Jesus, right before he ascends into heaven, says, but you, you followers of me, of Jesus, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You followers, disciples, apprentices of Jesus, you will be witnesses to the work of God in the world, not just to your city of Jerusalem, but to Judea and Samaria, the larger region, and to the ends of the world. It'd be, us like, it'd be like us saying, you will be my witness in the metro Detroit area or the Farmington Hills area, and then in the metro Detroit Midwest, kind of United States area, and then to the ends of the world. He is saying, you will be witnesses. Witnesses to what? To the work of of God that was done for the world. And you go and you testify about that work, the work of God that is happening in your life. So you tell the world about what Jesus has done for all of us, and then you show the world what God has done in your own life. This is the work that God is inviting us to participate in as exiles. If we long to see revival come out in our world, then it begins with us not sitting back and saying, God, You just go and do it. But instead saying, God, how can you use me to participate in what you desire to do in the world? This is the opportunity in front of us. And a pastor that that I listen to often kind of coined this phrase, redemptive participation. And I I kind of like, I I twisted it a little bit. I, I like to call it redemptive influence. Because I just like the word influence. I think it's a strong word. The word influence comes from a Latin word meaning flow. It's like this flow of water. But the flow is interesting. It doesn't connote like power 
or coercion or control, but suggests an effortlessness. And so it's this kind of flow that happens. We simply want to influence people by being ourselves. This is the opportunity that we have in front of us to participate. And it's influence rather than coercion through power. And it's redemptive rather than exploitative. Because we're trying to bring something back that has been lost. Things like hope and joy and meaning and purpose. And it's this participation in the work of God because it means that we're in the mix. We're part of it. We're not passive, but we are active in the work of God. And so here's a genuine question for you as we wrap up this series. Are we ready for revival to happen in our midst? Are you ready for revival to happen in our midst? Are we walking with such intimacy with God that we want what he wants? Are we able to redemptively influence the world around us? I firmly believe that if we want to be witnesses in the world, we must bear witness in the world. And there's a difference between those two. Being witnesses is kind of our, our words, our, 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 our verbal expression of what Jesus has done. Bearing witness is showing that what we're saying is true. Showing that what has happened is true. And I think too often when we think of ways to participate in the world, we are looking for kind of a formula. If I do this, if I do this, and if I do this, then God will use me to influence the world around me. And that may, may be true. But I believe firmly, it is my conviction, that instead of a formula, we need to focus on who we are. In Jesus, we need to focus not on just being witnesses, doing certain things, but bearing witness to the world around us. And I believe that one of the great passages that kind of invites us into this is found in 2 Timothy 2. In 2 Timothy, Paul, who, who wrote much of the New Testament, was incredibly hostile towards the church, literally had his hobby to go and find followers of the way of Jesus and imprison them and even sometimes persecute them, but yet had such a radical encounter with Jesus that his life was changed so much so that he changed his name from Saul to Paul and then ended up going on multiple missionary journeys and planting multiple churches around the known world. He writes to the, one of the guys who he poured his life into named Timothy. And in this letter, one of his last letters that he wrote, that we have, he writes to Timothy and encourages him to stand strong in his faith in a city known as Ephesus. Here's a little bit about the city Ephesus. Ephesus was a city that Timothy was a pastor in. And it was a wealthy and highly influential port city in the Roman province of Asia. So that means that multiple uh, merchants and ships were kind of coming into the city. It was kind of the Mecca, the central point where people would come in, kind of gather, and then go out. It was renowned, known for, 
for its temple of Artemis, the goddess Artemis. And so you have in this city a new, growing church that is influenced by all the different ideologies of its world at that time. And its primary worship is to a false god known as Artemis. Sound familiar? In many ways, we keep referring to our world to look a lot more like Babylon, but maybe it looks a lot like Ephesus. And so Paul, he's writing to Timothy, and he is encouraging and challenging Timothy with how do you stand strong in your faith? How do you transform a city? In other words, how do you participate in the work of revival in your time? And the letter is written to, Paul, to Timothy in an encouragement. And I hope it's an encouragement to you this morning as well. Here's what 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 9 says. You then, my son, even right there, you can begin to see the affection that Paul has for Timothy to refer to him as his son. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive the share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Can you see what Paul's solution for this kind of work of bearing witness is? It's not, it's not do more. But the problem of lukewarm living in Ephesus is not better programming. It's not growing your following online, but better people with better lives. That's his solution. And he kind of splits this discussion up into kind of two categories. The first category is the kind of people that God is looking for to use in his word, or in his work in the world. The first kind of people Paul says in verse uh, two, he says, people that he can trust. He says, and the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust, entrust. This word, entrust, is, this, is a Greek word, paratitami, and it is, it's here an imperative, and it carries the idea of depositing something valuable for safekeeping. So here's the question. Are you, are you someone whom God can entrust his work to? Can you pass it on to others? Can you carry the vision that God has for you? When I went to MSU, I remember one of the things that my pastor said and mentor said, he, he said, go to MSU and learn ministry by doing ministry. And so immediately when I went to MSU, as a freshman, I got involved in a campus ministry. And my sophomore year, 
my, my roommates and I, we started leading a Bible study on campus for one of our dorms. And what our ministry would do every year is at the beginning of the year, they would do these surveys. And people would come and they would kind of fill out this survey and talk about how open they were to spiritual things. And every survey that was filled out in our dorm was handed to us as Bible study leaders. And our, our campus lead for the ministry that we were a part of said, every week I will come back to you and I, and I will ask you, have you gone door to door and shared the gospel with these people? Now, I'm going to be honest. As a 19-year-old, I was absolutely terrified to do that. And the first couple weeks, he would come, and he'd say, did you do it? And we were like, well, you know, we made up excuses about the busyness of the start of the school year and blah, blah, blah. And he said, listen, you have been called. You have been entrusted with this dorm. Be faithful to what you've been entrusted with. And so we would go and we would begin to come and, and go and share the gospel. And every week we would go and knock on doors and introduce ourselves to people we had no idea. And we would have these spiritual conversations with people. And friends, at the end of that year, we had one of the largest Bible studies on campus. Now, I don't believe it was because of our skill of door knocking. Uh, I believe it was because we showed that we were, we were worthy to be entrusted with this kind of task in front of us. Are you someone who people can trust? Are you someone that God can entrust with the fullness of the gospel for the world around you? God is looking for people that he can trust. He also says, Paul goes on and says, we are looking for, God is looking for people who are reliable. He says, we need to entrust it to reliable people. We need to entrust it to reliable people, people who are consistent, who prioritize, who kind of have that hustle mentality, those people who are going to say, hey, I'll do whatever it takes. Oftentimes, when I will enter into kind of a discipling relationship with people, I will often ask them, hey, what you're doing is you're entering into a relationship, an agreement that says, I have access to you, and I can call you out when necessary, but when you come into these times and these meetings, you're coming ready, prepared, and, and, and eager to be equipped with what God has for you. In other words, to be reliable. I fully believe that God can do anything with your life, but if you are inconsistent and unreliable, you will squander the inheritance that God has for you. And so, friends, we need to make sure that we are showing ourselves to be reliable, people who come and are willing to kind of do whatever it takes, that kind of mentality, who says, hey, God, I, you will entrust this with me, and I will be reliable to not squander this gift that you have given to me. And finally, he says, people who, are, who we can entrust, reliable people who we can entrust, who will also be qualified to teach others. He's looking for people who are strong, strong in the grace of God. This verb, be strong, is a passive verb. However, it indicates a, the source of Timothy's strength was not in himself, but in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. A somewhat better rendering would be by means of the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Don't neglect the gift of God that is in you. Don't, don't neglect it, but rather, he says earlier, fan into flame this gift that is in you. These are the kind of people who God is looking for to, to, and inviting in to participate in the world. People who are trustworthy, people who are reliable, people who are strong. And this is who God has called each of us to be. 
So my question is, how are you doing in those areas? Would those be the words that others would use to describe your life? Paul continues in this passage to describe the kind of life that those who participate in his work in the world will live. So he says, here's who I'm looking for. Now here's the kind of life you will live. And before we kind of jump into the meat of this, I think it's important for us to not gloss over what Paul says in verse three. He says, join with me in suffering. See, I think oftentimes what happens is we think about, well, God is inviting me into this work, and so it's going to be happy, it's going to be joyful, it's going to be easy, there won't be any kind of resistance or pushback. But we have to remember, friends, that we're living in a world that is trying to push faith to the margins. And we are trying to bring faith central to everything that we say and do, who we are. And so there will be an element of suffering in this kind of life, of rejection, of pain, of loss. And I know that that's not a very exciting invitation to be a part of, but I fully believe that if we come in with the right mindset, that while there may be suffering, we will understand that there will also be glory that comes as revival begins to take root in our world. So after that heartwarming introduction to this kind of life, Paul continues to describe this kind of life for those who participate in the redemptive work of God. And what's interesting, he doesn't describe it with a bunch of actions, but rather he uses three metaphors. Three metaphors. And I, and I, I think we need to point this out, that the metaphor that you use for your life will often determine the life that you live. And I believe that Paul is kind of setting the stage for this reality. He is helping us as followers of Jesus to begin to build our lives around the right metaphors to help steer us and guide us into the right kind of life that we can live. And here's the three metaphors that Paul uses to describe those who are active participants in the work of God in the world. The first one is that of a soldier. He says in verse four, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Remember that the dominating power of this day was the Roman government. And in the Roman army, you would serve for 20 years. And oftentimes in, those, in that time of service, you could not marry. You would have your legion tattooed on your body these men were known for their unwavering commitment to their commanding officer. And they were, they, it was against the rules for them to abandon or desert their fellow troops. These soldiers had focus, they had courage, they had commitment, and they were willing to sacrifice whatever is necessary. There was this thing called the Roman Code of Theodosius, which says this, we forbid men engaged in military service to engage in civilian occupations. In other words, if you are a soldier, you are a soldier. You do not worry about civilian life. You simply worry about your commanding officer. This is why Paul says that the soldier doesn't get entangled in civilian affairs. You see, to entangle himself translates as a passive form of the, of the Greek verb empleko, which literally means to weave. 
So Paul is saying, hey, as a soldier, don't weave your life into the life of the people around you. Rather, weave yourself into the heart, into the mind of your commanding officer, who is Jesus. And isn't it so, so easy to become entangled in trivial things? Just yesterday, as I was on Instagram, uh, which is a civilian uh, thing, all right, uh, this graphic came up on someone's story. In 2021, which I understand is a couple years old, but the point will still, still land here, Netflix had 9.6 trillion minutes streamed. And TikTok had 22.6 million minutes viewed. You wonder, do you have enough time? The answer is yes, <laughs> we do. But it is so easy to, easy to get woven into civilian affairs, to the things of this world. It's an ongoing kind of tension between my wife and I right now because she, she wants to start these new shows that she's hearing about. And I'm in the mindset of, I don't want to start any new shows. Like, I'm, I want to finish the shows that we've already started and then be done. Like, I don't want to start any more new shows, and it kind of drives her crazy. Uh, but here's my thing. I'm not saying streaming and shows are bad. They're good. They're great ways to relax. But he, I, heard, I heard a pastor in a podcast describe it this way. They're not bad things. They're just lesser things. And I don't want to devote my time and my life and my energies to lesser things. I want to focus my life on the greater thing. Now, I say all that with the full acknowledgement that I watched a lot of football this weekend, okay? So like, you know, it's a give and take here, okay? But like, so I'm not condemning anything. It is just a growing conviction for myself that as I weave myself into lesser things, I believe I'll be entrusted with lesser things as well. But friends, how easy is it for us to be part of the 9.6 trillion minutes or the 22.6 trillion minutes on TikTok. The things that take away the power of our lives are often not the big things, but the trivial things that have woven their way into our life. And I think oftentimes what happens, the core motivation for that weaving in is because we have a fear of man in our world. And what do I mean by fear of man? We have a fear of man where our desire is for the approval and affirmation of the people around us. This is one of the marks of the fall in our world. And if I live, a, if, if I live woven into the fabric of the world around me, then it is going to be hard for me to, com, to please my commanding officer. A deep desire for the approval and affirmation of the Father is the mark of the follower of Jesus rather than a deep affirmation and approval of the people around us. So friends, we need to make sure that our commanding officer is the one that we seek to please. And in the process, we need to make sure that we are not getting woven into or entangled in the civilian affairs around us. So I must again ask this question, are you a soldier or are you a civilian in the kingdom of God? believe Jesus is inviting each of us. If you desire to participate in the work of God in our world, then your mindset, need, mindset needs to shift from civilian life to that of a soldier. 
God desires to use men and women who will live like soldiers. He also longs for people who will live like the athlete. And that's the second metaphor that he uses. He says in verse five, similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. Paul focuses on competing according to the rules. There's an emphasis there. The rules. And this this. This metaphor would have worked well for the Ephesian church because they had the Isthmian games that took place regularly right near them. This was kind of like a, an ancient form of the Olympics. In the Greek games, first, you had to be a true-born Greek. Second, you had to prepare for at least 10 months for the games, and you had to swear that you had done that before a statue of Zeus. And then third, you had to compete according to the specific rules for a given event. This was kind of the things that dictated whether or not you could be an athlete. And to fail in any of those areas meant that you were automatically disqualified from this victor's crown. So, Paul is saying that discipline is a key factor for any athlete. These athletes were willing to go through this kind of commitment because ultimately, and this is true for all of us, we discipline ourselves around whatever it is that we love. We discipline ourselves around the things that we love. I mean, if you were watching the game yesterday, these guys did not just step onto the field and think, you know what? I'm going to play some football today. No, they've been training, many of them, since that game last season. They have been giving all of their lives to that game that played yesterday. Why? Because they discipline themselves around the very things that they love. And the truth of the matter is that these athletes that Paul is talking about, they could be disqualified if they did not compete according to the rules. I believe that what Paul is challenging each of us to is to have this kind of level of devotion in our lives. If he's challenging us to not get involved in civilian affairs and to please our commanding officer as soldiers, for the athlete, he's saying, you need to have this kind of level of devotion and you need to compete according to the rules. This is why we talked about a few weeks ago, the secret place is so important. So often we want the public space to take up our lives and to define our lives, but Jesus is inviting us into the secret place to come and be with him. If you don't spend time in the secret place developing your intimacy with Jesus, then you will simply become a spectator rather than an athlete. You see, similarly, for all of us who are following Jesus, that secret place is the equivalent of the working out, the dedication, the commitment, the preparation. As we develop intimacy in the, in the secret space, in that secret place, God is working in us and preparing us for the very thing that he's called us to, the victor's crown. Spectators could never receive this victor's crown. Only the athletes could. And as Paul emphasizes in this passage, the the wreath, known as the Stephanos, for which the Greek athletes competed, it was perishable, but the one for which you and I compete for, the spiritual 
wreath, this spiritual crown, it is imperishable. And this theme is evident throughout all of Paul's writings. In 2 Timothy 4 eight, just a little bit later, he says, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to also all who have loved his appearing. He says, you will receive this crown if you have given your life to this. In 1 Peter 5, Peter writes, the unfading crown of glory that we will receive when the chief shepherd appears. In James 1, James writes this, the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. This is the aim for you and I. As athletes, we are not just kind of competing just because. We're competing for this crown. And we are devoting our lives, disciplining ourselves in the secret place to develop intimacy so that our lives can be ready to be used by him in the work that he has for the world. So, my question is, are you an athlete or are you a spectator? Are you in training or are you watching the games from the sideline. Paul continues by describing our participation in his work as the farmer. This is the final metaphor. In verse 6, he says, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crop. I'm going to be honest, of all the metaphors, soldier, I can kind of begin to wrap my head around that. Athlete, I can begin to wrap my, my head around that. The farmer is a hard one for me to wrap my head around because I think for many of us, we're just separated from this metaphor. I mean, think about it. If I want food, I don't plan and prepare to plant seed in the ground and wait for that crop to come about. I go to bushes on my way home, right? And if the organic stuff's not on sale, I just go and buy the regular stuff, right? Or if I want to make a special meal, I don't go to the lake and like catch a salmon for myself. No, I just go to Costco, because they've already prepped it perfectly for me, right? And like, this is all I have to do. We're so far removed and severed from the soil that we have no idea where our food comes from. We're able to get whatever we want whenever we want it. But there is a reality that, that for Paul's day and age and for all of us, that there is something about the hard work of a farmer. That word, hardworking, it's a participle from the verb kapleo, which means to toil intensely, to sweat and strain to the point of exhaustion. I mean, this is what Paul is inviting us into. How often do you think about the work that goes into your food? I believe it's hard work, but I never think of the work that goes into my food, ever. I think about eating the food that I have. But there is a seed that needs to be planted. And there's, there's a process to make sure that the soil is ready and right to receive that seed. The farmers think about when to plant so that they can prepare when to harvest. They have to think about how the season plays into the growth of that crop. Proper watering needs to go in. You can't underwater, you can't overwater. And obviously, patience goes into the land and the crop. This kind of growth that I believe that Paul is talking about when it comes to the farmer is often slow and unspectacular. Right? My hunch is that most farmers don't go out and every day measure and be like, all right, we got another half inch today. We're on the right path. 
But this kind of fruit and this kind of life is well worth it. I have a friend who I would describe as a foodie. You guys have those friends? Like they are these friends who just know good food. And I was at his, uh, I was at an event he was doing and he brought in this chef. And the chef prepared this incredible meal for us and everything was farm to table. Including, well I guess it isn't really farm to table, but he made this sourdough bread that the, that the starter was from his grandma. I don't even know how old that is, all right? But I can tell you this, all right? I can tell you this, that that sourdough was the best sourdough that I've ever had. It tasted differently. Now, one of the things that this friend of mine will often say, oh, it just tastes better. Oh, it just tastes so good. Oh, the taste of this food is just so good. The farmer works for the crop and enjoys a share of the crop. The nutrients of a vibrant life will only come after the long journey. But friends, I'm here to tell you, it just tastes so much better. That kind of life just tastes so much better. So we need to do the work of preparing our hearts and working the soil of our hearts. And it will be long, it will be unspectacular, but if we stay with it and we are like the farmer who enjoys a share of the crop, the taste of our life will be so much better. This is our calling as farmers, to put in the work, to be patient with the harvest. And if we are willing to allow our hearts and our character to be shaped and formed into the image of Jesus, we will become the kind of farmers that God desires to use rather than kind of lazy consumers who just simply sit back and say, what do I get out of this? The soldier the athlete, the farmer. These three metaphors, I believe, describe the kind of life that God wants to use for redemptive influence. We have a kind of graph or a Venn diagram. Can you go to the Venn diagram, the next one? This, this I believe, is kind of the opportunity in front of us. The soldier, the athlete, the farmer, our lives should be described by each of them, but the overlap of each of those areas is that place of redemptive influence. It's a place where God wants to use us to go and invite us into the work of his world. If we are willing to be like the soldier whose sole focus is to please our commanding officer and we're not willing to get woven into our civilian affairs around us, if we are the athlete who's willing to discipline ourselves and compete by the rules for the victor's crown, if we are the hardworking farmer who will prepare the soil of our hearts so that we can do the long, slow growth of becoming more like Jesus, then we will be people who will bear witness to the world around us. That God will look at us and say, I can use you in the world. I can take what you are doing and I can go and bring you into whatever sphere that you are in and use you to bring my gospel to the places around us. That you can come and be witnesses. So the aim of our lives is to live in that overlap because I believe that the place of overlap is redemptive influence 
in our world. I can't remember which commentary I read. I looked for it the other day, but I couldn't find where it came from. But I wrote this down in my notes as I was preparing. Beyond warfare is victory. Beyond the athlete's effort is the prize. And beyond agricultural labor is the crop. This is what God is inviting us into. So friends, this week, as we've been doing, I want to invite you into a practice to just reflect on this. Genuinely spend time asking yourself, which of these metaphors describes my life? And which of these metaphors do I need to grow in? Am I someone who has shown that I'm trustworthy and reliable and strong so that God can entrust these things to me? So that God can use me in his work in the world? And I want to invite you to simply offer this prayer. Lord, set me apart for your purposes. Again, as I started off by saying, 2024, I believe, is going to be one for the record books. We have a big vision for 2024. And much of this series was to prepare our hearts for what I believe God wants to do as a result of that vision. I believe that revival, renewal is coming, that that is the opportunity before us. And so, friends, we need to prepare our own hearts and be ready to be people who can respond to the active work that God is doing, to respond to the invitation that he is giving to us. And we need to exert our redemptive influence. So as we end here this morning, in verses 7 and 8 of 2 Timothy 2, Paul simply says this. He says, reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from heaven. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Two actions, reflect and remember. Reflect and remember. Reflect on the things that he is saying. What describes your life more? Are you untrustworthy, unreliable, weak in grace? Are you a civilian or a spectator, a consumer? Have you forgotten Jesus in the greater work of your daily life? You kind of found yourself settling for a mediocre life. Or do you long to be trustworthy? Are you trustworthy, reliable, strong in the grace of God? A soldier, a competitor, a farmer. You have a vision for Jesus and the calling that he's placed upon you. And do you believe that God will do something eternally significant with you? Reflect on those things. Which of these two lives are you, in, are you in? And remember, remember Jesus' love. Remember Jesus' compassion. Remember his devotion, his sacrifice, his discipline, his vision, his patience with you. Because I sit back and I think, who's here for this? Because I believe if we are here for this as a, as a church, then this upcoming year is gonna be one that honestly no matter how much preparation we 
we have in our lives that God will do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. I'm ready to see heaven come down and make this place far less like Babylon and far more like the kingdom. This is my desire. But it will begin by us bearing witness, living lives that show that what we are saying is true. And when we live in that space of overlap, all we have to do, all we have to do is show up and God will use us wherever we are. Father, we thank you for this time and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the the words that you've given to Timothy through Paul and this vision for life that's far beyond what what Timothy even had for himself. I pray, God, that you would continue to challenge us in this time of response to think about the very things of our life, to think, are we ready to be active participants in what you have for us? the kind of work that you have for us in the world. I pray, Father, that we would be known for kind of being those soldiers, those athletes, those farmers, that we would allow those things to overlap so that we would be able to exert our redemptive influence in the world and ultimately be used by you. Bring your kingdom, Holy Spirit, through us. Make us men and women who are trustworthy, reliable, and strong. This is our desire. So Jesus, we invite you in. Holy Spirit, we invite you in. And as we reflect, we pray that you would speak and help us to remember you for who you are and let that spur our lives and our worship in these next few moments. Come Holy Spirit and do what only you can do.